Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back for another episode. And I want to talk about something today that I really have never heard much about. I guess you could probably say when it comes to financial therapy that there isn't a lot out in the financial press tying emotions to our financial decisions. But this is something that um, just rarely is discussed. In fact, I heard uh, from a college professor on this idea. I had written a couple columns on it that um, he's really never heard this addressed. What is it? It's um, around being named an, an executor of a will. Now, before you turn it off, (laughs) this is not interesting. Just wait a second, because there is a reasonable chance that you may be asked to be an executor of a will. This would be especially true if you're an only child or if you're the oldest child or if you're the most educated child of a parent, or in some way a a child that's looked upon as perhaps being uh, uh, more, I hate to say competent, but maybe competent is the right word, than your siblings. So there's lots of kids that end up being executors of their parents' wills, and they have no clue what they're being asked to do. So, and it, this is fraught with emotion. I mean, um, one of the big issues that is fraught with money emotion is who's going to pay for the bill when you go out to dinner with friends? I think I could write a whole book on that. This is similar to that because it brings, it ties obligation and duties and a part-time job in with all of the emotions, all of the history that you and your siblings and uh, even parents have lived through. So let's talk about this a little bit. The first thing to really understand is that being named an executor in a will is a big deal. Oftentimes, I'll be working with a set of parents, we'll be working with how they want their estate documents to read, and we come down to who's going to be the executor. Now, the executor is the person in charge of carrying out the wishes in the will. So, this particular person is responsible for valuing everything, binding everything, uh, making an inventory of everything, 
reading the will, dividing the property up, making sure that the final uh, tax, income tax papers are filed, making sure all the distributions are done accurately, just everything that there is in wrapping up the lifetime of accumulation of an individual and uh, making sure that it's distributed properly. And typically, you'll find several things. Oftentimes, parents will name all of the kids as co-executors, which I think is not the best idea. Why? Why do they do this? Well, they do it so they don't have to favor a child or pick a child because uh, emotionally they don't want to be seen as favoring a child. They also will do that because they have the thought that if all the kids have to make the decisions, then there'll be unity and unanimous decisions. You know, in some families this works great. Kids all really get along. They're really bonded. In other families, this is a recipe for complete disaster. So typically, I suggest to the parents that they select one child to be the executor and then name a backup to that child, maybe a backup to the backup. This uh, also carries all sorts of dynamics with it that we'll get into. But typically, when you're asked to be the executor of somebody's will, it's viewed as a compliment. Why? Well, because this is a person that they're saying, I trust and I feel is competent to carry out my wishes. And usually this person is a family member, sometimes, and usually a child if they're adults. If not, it could be another sibling or even a parent, but typically it is a family member. Rarely is it a non-family member. So when asked if, um, hey honey, I've uh, named you executor and my will, is, is that okay with you? The receipt of that is an honor. Wow, they really think a lot of me. And so rarely, I have I ever known, I can't even come up with a case that a child said no. And often of the time, it's not really asking, it's not really a request, would you be my executor? Oftentimes, it's just a telling, uh, you will be my executor, or by the way, I have named you my executor. Oh, okay. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. And you don't have to let the executor know <laughs> that you've named them. In many, many cases, many cases, the kids don't even know, the child does not even know that Mom and Dad named them as an executor of their will. This is problematic, and I've written a number of columns that parents really owe an obligation. I hate to use that word obligation, but they really owe it to the child 
to let them know, the executor of their state, to let them know that they've been named the executor and then give them a lot of information that will be helpful to them once they pass. But, you know, this is one of the no-talk rules in families. I'm not talking about the will. I'm not talking about what I own. I'm not talking about how much I'm worth. I'm not talking about who's executor, especially if the executor is one specific child and they just don't want to let everybody know, all the kids know they've chosen Sally to be the executor for fear. All the other kids will be hurt and upset. So um, already you can see that this is fraught with emotion. This is uh, a business decision. And it's a business decision that gets all mucked up uh, because of all of the histories and stories and feelings and thoughts that all of these people carry. So uh, that's typically how it plays out. And the interesting thing is that in most cases, Nobody knows, neither the parents nor the kids, the huge time commitment and the complexity and the liability that being an executor takes. And I, I would suggest that if both parties really understood what it means to be an executor, there would be more and more executors saying, no, thank you potential executors saying, no, thank you, please <laughs> do not make me your executor. And that's why this is so important for us to, uh, to be considering. According to uh, exec, or it's uh, stateexec.com, it averages taking about 18 months to settle about 80% of all estates. So you might also be saying, well, you know, my parents, they don't own that much. I don't own that much. How difficult can an executor be? Well, if you think about this, that 100% of people die and it takes 18 months to settle 80% of that. And if you think about the fact that 70% of Americans live hand to mouth, they really don't have much of an estate to leave. That would suggest that there's more complexity here than we think, right? It's not necessarily all about how much stuff you have. I just can have anything and the result can be time consuming. So, so don't think just because your parents don't own a lot or you don't own a lot that being an executor is going to be easy. Now, if the estate is bigger, if the estate is worth over $5 million, the average time will jump to double 18 months. It will double to three years. Uh, the average executor that is uh, going to be on the job for 18 months is going to spend about 570 hours uh, working to settle the estate. And then, of course, that doubles on larger estates over 5 million. So, 
what I, the takeaway from this is to understand when you're named as an executor, it's a part-time job. Now, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about taking on a part-time job that's, that's going to require over 18 months? If it's, say, 500 hours, what is that? Maybe seven, seven hours a week, you know, a day a week, uh, out of your time. And obviously, most folks, I mean, you're not going to take off a day a week to do this. When are you going to do it? You're going to do it at nights. You're going to do it over lunch hours. You're going to do it on the weekends. So how do you feel about taking a year and a half of your life to take on a part-time job, to give up some of your weekends and evenings to, uh, to do this? So, I mean, it's really something to, uh, to think about that. So the, the challenge of being executor goes beyond just the hours, okay? There's a, a lot of legal processes and the legal system takes time. It takes patience and organization. So how are you around being patient? How are you around being organized? Uh, for some folks, you know, maybe in um, money script talk, uh, a money vigilant, maybe uh, really organized. But a uh, someone who's a money avoidant, avoids money, may just really struggle with uh, being organized and following all the details that it takes to uh, shepherd an estate. There's just um, a ton of paperwork, uh, tracking expenses. I think inventorying property, I, uh, a friend of mine had uh, a spouse pass and uh, the spouse had huge collections of stuff that needed to be sorted through an inventory and it took a couple of years in fact i don't even think it's done now to inventory these uh massive uh, collections uh, and then there's of course deadline i think it's i think the uh, final return is due within nine months of death or nine months of the end of the tax year so all of this goes into being an executor. Uh, you also need to really be willing to learn because this is going to be a crash course in uh, how the probate courts work, how estate laws are drawn. You're going to need to work closely with attorneys and accountants and financial planners. So Having uh, the, the willingness to learn, being a quick learner helps. It's uh, uh, probably important to be uh, pretty flexible. And yet, there's still times that an executor has to step up and make a decision. Uh, an executor needs a voice, right? So if you have uh, issues around speaking up, anxiety around speaking up, not a lot of confidence, 
this can be a bit of a problem as these authority figures can uh, be overwhelming, right? And if you've got the thoughts and beliefs that all attorneys know what they're doing, all accountants know what they're doing, all financial planners know what they're doing, I will follow what they say without questioning, this could be a problem. Likewise, if uh, you're overconfident, if you really think you got this, you understand this, these <laughs> professionals don't know what they're doing, just the opposite can, uh, can happen. So the interesting thing about being an executor, it's kind of like being the boss and being the lowest level employee at the same time. Uh, there are big decisions that you'll need to make and you'll also be the one sorting through all the stuff, inventorying, cleaning up, cleaning out, and doing all of those tasks. So, you know, being a, an executor takes uh, some confidence, not arrogance, but confidence and some detachment because you're dealing with all of this emotional stuff, especially if you're a child, you're grieving the loss of a parent, probably. Uh, you're sorting through stuff that's going to trigger a lot of emotion in you, uh, remembrances. Your siblings will potentially be going through the same thing. There's still another parent alive. You know, just a lot of emotional dynamics. So an executor needs to have some detachment to negotiate the potential conflicts between family members and to say no when necessary to make decisions that others may not understand or agree with because of all the emotional triggering trauma everything that is connected with that. I mean, how many times have you heard about huge fights in families over a stainless steel silverware or, you know, the plates or pots or pictures or something that has really no value, no monetary value, but has huge emotional value and the seeming illogical positions that can come out of that. Of course, we know they're completely logical when we understand the underlying stories. So as an executor, understand your loyalty, your fiduciary responsibility is to the estate, not to the family or the siblings. Now, this is a hard one to really get get your arms around. It's, um, it's similar to, say, a insurance salesperson selling um, life insurance. Their duty is to work in the best interests of their company, not the customer that they're trying to sell the product to. So this is very similar that your job is not to make the siblings happy, not to make anybody happy. It's to carry out the wishes of the estate and to do what is in the best interest of the estate. So that's a lot. 
And it's pretty important that if you're asked to be the executor of someone's will, that you really need to seriously consider whether you've got the time and skill to carry out these duties. You need to have a discussion with whoever is making the will, typically parents, about their expectations. You need to know the size of the estate. You need to know where all the assets are. You need to know about all the collections. You need to know everything there really is to know financially so that you can assess this task. You know, not only for the, the purpose of deciding whether you're going to do it or not, but also uh, for the purpose of being ready. I recently had a client who, uh, they dropped our services and uh, for a, a few years came back and said, we want to be clients again. I said, well, why do you want to be clients again? Well, we were appointed the executor of one of his parents' wills and said, you know what? I now get it. I now get what you do. And I don't want to do all this myself. So this is, it's really good to take this on and it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no if you didn't know and a, a, a parent dies and you get the call from the attorney, hey, you're the executor? You can say no because there's usually a second, even a third executor named in the will. So uh, try to get past the honor, try to get past the sense of duty, the sense of obligation and really assess, is this something that I have the technical capability and talent to do, the time to do, and the emotional uh, tools that are needed to do it. Now, to those making a will, the kindest thing you might do for a child is to consider naming a professional executor, like a bank trust department. And that would be giving the gift to your kids or to the person that you trust and would like to name the gift of not having to oversee this process, not having to spend all of that time and resource to do this because it's a pretty much a thankless job. It often adds stress and misunderstanding to family relationships. So having a detached, completely detached third party be the executor could be a wonderful gift. And then one last thing that I haven't mentioned, compensation. You're being hired to do a job. What's the pay? Pay? You don't get paid to be an executor, do you? Oh, yeah. If you have a professional executor, they're going to be paid, right? You're taking on a job that's going to require 567 hours to 1,200 hours? Don't you think some pay would be fair? I can't ask for pay. Well, I suggest that when you're named an executor, you ask, how much does this job pay? Oh, <laughs> wow. We have just opened an emotional Pandora's box. And I'm going to leave you on the edge of your seat because we're going to talk about the compensation of an executor in our next episode. So stay tuned. 
See you then. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.